Welcome to How to Love Forever. In this episode, we go to Hollywood. To be more specific, we get intimate with Hollywood. Ooh. We learn all about how the film industry is evolving around its creation and portrayal of intimacy in movies and TV. And we get a behind-the-scenes peek in our conversation with a real-life intimacy coordinator in the film industry. Hooray for Hollywood. Even the part that's in Vancouver, Canada. All coming up right right now. now. Hi, I'm Marco. And I'm Heather. We invite you on a journey of discovery as we explore techniques, tools, and inspiration to better our love lives and our sex lives. Join us as we travel the world, seeking out the stories that can help improve how we do romance and relationships. Come with us as we discover how how to to love love forever. Hi, love bunnies. Welcome to today's episode of How to Love Forever, where we boldly explore love, relationships, and sexuality. I'm Heather. And I'm former child actor and international film sensation, Marco. Oh, Marco, thank you so much for gracing us with your august presence. I'm just here for the love scenes, baby. (laughs) Okay. Speaking of which, we also had the privilege of conversing with Megan Gilron, Mm. an intimacy coordinator for the film industry based in Vancouver. Now, intimacy coordination is quite a recent development, stemming pretty directly from the Me Too movement. That's right. In 2017, worldwide attention was given to abuses of power and sexual harassment of actors during the Me Too movement, in large part because of the Harvey Weinstein sex scandal. Also, the gardener in charge of his office plants resigned in disgust. He's still in therapy today. So, since that time, demand for that position in film and TV production has really gained traction to help control workplace misconduct and to help ensure that people aren't being taken advantage of in what is often an impulsive, high-stakes industry. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is thanks to actor Emily Mead on HBO's The Deuce. The need for choreographing scenes of intimacy of both a sexual nature and a familial or platonic, it's now become a standard role recognized across the film industry here in the U.S., in Canada, and Europe so far. So we had a great chat with Megan, who is an intimacy coordinator and has been instrumental in shaping the future of this new role in filmmaking. She had so many interesting thoughts to share on the past and future of the film industry and how these changes might be reflected in our own relationship to the stories we see on the silver screen. And this interview is edited down so it can fit in the podcast. The entire interview is actually twice as long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you want to listen to the whole thing, you can join our Patreon members and gain access to it and other uncut interviews and a whole lot more. Details after the interview. But without further ado, our conversation with Megan Gilron. Hi, Megan. Hi, Megan. Hi. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me so much. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Megan is a comprehensive sexual health and sexuality educator, an actor's advocate, and an intimacy coordinator for film and television. I know. I'm like, that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. Sounds really good. (laughs) You know Lenny, right? You know Lenny DiCaprio, right? (laughs) Not met him yet. (laughs) (laughs) No? (laughs) I could tell you some stories. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about what an intimacy coordinator is, because it is such a new aspect to the the film and theater industry. And I I know there's a difference between an intimacy director and an intimacy coordinator. Intimacy coordinator is for film. 
picking the parallel with our, what already exists with regards to stunts, really. Um, so stunt coordinator, an intimacy coordinator, and then in theater, a fight director or an intimacy mm-hmm. director. It's semantics around like the director and the directing department are the directors in mm-hmm. film and TV. Um, and we don't cross <laughs> those streams. Don't, don't um, threaten their egos, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so basically we are actors advocates. We are liaisons between uh, production and the performers. And we also are movement coaches and choreographers. Um, and so what that kind of looks like, I'll try to be brief in terms of, like, kind of where we would come in, how we get involved in stuff, um, and then what our final role is. A lot of it's in pre-production. Um, and so people on set are like, what do you do? And it's like, well, I did a bunch of stuff. And now we're set up well so that people aren't like running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Right. Um, so we come in as early as we possibly can. Uh, talk to the producer or the production company. We explain our role. We talk about how we'll do um, uh, an assessment of the script. We'll talk about like what are the intimate moments. Nowadays, we also have things like COVID. So a lot of productions will have us do some kind of a risk assessment. Right. And then if there are things that are like high risk or high contact kind of things, we might offer, depending on the performer's comfort levels, alternatives like masking, um, different ways of telling the story that are nuanced that doesn't rely on, say, lip contact, if we are trying to avoid that. Um, we talk to them about how we are sort of navigating conversations interdepartmentally. So we would be calling and talking to wardrobe, hair, makeup, props, set, depending on what it is that we're navigating in the scene. Um, we would uh, have actor intake calls with all the performers and do private conversations where we ask them things like, do they have any injuries or allergies? Do they have any um, concerns or questions about what's written in the script? We might go over what's going to be in their um, nudity or simulated sex rider, which is going to be the legal document. We create like a layperson's terms of what would be in that document. And then we kind of help give that over to legal so that the wording is something that the performers really understand. Um, right. The legalese of it is a bit overwhelming for them sometimes. Right. And then um, depending on the needs of the script, we might recommend a rehearsal because really creating that choreography, much like someone might do with stunts, is the more you practice something and the more you are really familiar with your body movement and your muscle memory, the more that on the day you're performing, you can really put yourself into performing the necessary emotions because you know what your body is doing and it's repeatable and sustainable, Mm -hmm. Um, which with film is really important because you might be doing the same scene over and over again, different angles, different coverage. Yeah. All day long for a 15 second shot. Yeah. If you're improvising every time (laughs) the performers or the director and the editors are going to have a really hard time putting that together. Mm -hmm. And the performers might find that they're leaving that space of performing and worrying about, oh, that my my perform my co-star's hand moved a little bit more to the right than we agreed on. And oh, actually that was a boundary and they didn't pay attention to that or we didn't discuss it ahead of time. And we have a lot of like mystery. Um, and that really puts a performer into a heightened stent a state of like adrenaline arousal basically and just like doesn't allow them to really be present in the moment because they're kind of worried and they're you can get a bit of tunnel vision when that happens. Yeah, it detracts um, from the performance itself. So yeah, everybody exactly. loses out. Exactly. And so we can like really help with more nuanced performance when they are feeling really confident about what their bodies are doing um, and where the uh, whatever we're depicting that the positions of the bodies are uh, the intended point of contact is very different 
and what the depicted point of contact is. So if we're right. doing some kind of penetration, the person's body is uh, be also because we're masking with camera angles and different things. Uh, like for say, for example, if we're doing a story of oral sex, the person's head is nowhere near the genital region. It's usually um, connected to an area in the upper thigh. It's a camera um, angle and then sheet. It's camera angle sheet with either forehead or nose. And then there's movement um, and different things like that or a moment of breath or things like that that we build into the choreography. Mm, fascinating. Yeah. And then before choreography, we um, make sure that we clear the performer's boundaries with each other. So uh, if we have the time, we can be really thorough and each partner can go over their entire body and say where they're okay being touched. And if we're, we have not a lot of time, usually it's like very clearly like, okay, the bathing suit area or the bikini region or, you know, the buttocks is off, off limits, the genital region is off limits and the chest is off limits. Like whatever it is that's the parameters of the show and of the network as well as the boundaries of the performer mm -hmm. and we create also some tools around closure so can you real quick can you tell our listeners what the five pillars of intimacy coordination and choreography are you bet and i'm not going to get them in the right order but i'll try <laughs> it's consent uh, so making sure that there's consent every which way um, and kind of making sure there's a lot of conversation around consent, mm -hmm. context, const context of the show, context of, you know, the relationship that the characters are building, the story, the set, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, choreography um, and oh, gosh, <laughs> I always forget the, the second last one. Choreography, uh, context, consent. Oh, my gosh. Communication. I always, thank you. Communication. So I was like, it's, it's, I, I was going to say condoms, it. but I mean, I'm new here. <laughs> I was gonna, I always forget that one because it's actually connected to all of them. So I never think that I'm missing it because it's always, it's like the underlying feature, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you can, I mean, you can't have context and you can't have consent and you can't have choreography without communication. So right. of course it makes sense that it's part of there, but I always forget it because it's connecting them all communication, um, which is the sort of like mediator kind of role that we play where we're always <laughs> incessantly nagging people for information and giving them information that's like mm -hmm. more than they ever asked for but they're like wow like you're always so clear and transparent I'm like yeah well we want to make sure everyone knows what's going on <laughs> um and then closure um which is around creating the container i mean i'd say closure and boundaries are similar things but i think closure you know like we uh we slated at the beginning of this uh mm -hmm. Creating a slating for a performer to create that boundary between them as themselves and them mm -hmm. as the character. It's yeah. A little mnemonic so ritual trigger to help you sort of, exactly. I don't know, maybe in a case like this, like reduce the amount of emotional trauma that you might feel. Say, for example, a sexual attack scene, that kind of situation. Whenever you slate out, you're like back to yourselves. You as two actors can like hug it out, go get coffee and then do it again. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it does, it helps, it helps mitigate showmances. Um, you know, it mm, helps to mitigate, yeah. you know, if even have performers who will, after a scene, say, like, I'm still feeling the residual, uh, for example. And this is so interesting because a lot of people, when we started this work, there was a lot of conversation about how this was going to help female performers and that there's, you know, a lot of risk for, uh, either it's different kinds of sexual assault or violence or that they're not being paid attention to in that way. And uh, it's interesting because the more I've done this work, I've actually found that when we're doing scenes of like a heterosexual uh, partnership, a lot of times the men are the ones that need the extra support, especially in scenes of sexual violence. Because and I'm not I'm not um, belittling the the impact on the female performer at all, but I just don't think anyone thought 
to the degree that when we open up the space for the men to have conversations about how they feel performing Mm -hmm. that scene of violence, how much that impacts them and their body and their need to, um, we call it de-rolling, de-taking ourselves out of the role and being able to really talk them through this process of taking like a hologram of their character and kind of peeling it away from their body and going, Mm. I'm acknowledging that my character felt this emotion towards my this the other character um i'm feeling that i myself am feeling the residual feelings of my character and i'm acknowledging that and i'm going to you know breathe that away for myself ah. um, and put that character here so that i can leave and and be myself and then come and pick that up at work tomorrow you know what right, i mean so right so you don't like unconsciously absorb the nasty rapiness you know and take it home with you or self identify with it yeah or feel personal guilt over it because you're being paid to portray a nasty person that's exactly it yeah, yeah. that's that's absolutely fascinating. It's got to be so empowering to help men who don't typically have the access to tools to really properly manage and process their emotions in, in a healthy manner, to give them context and, and to give them tools as actors to de-roll themselves and, and to manage the emotions that must come up, you know, when they're playing. They do. Yeah. That. I mean, I'm an ex actor. I find what you said groundbreaking and fantastic, you <laughs> know, because I could have definitely used it when I was on stage a few times. I definitely yeah. could have. And like we try to, and I'll be fully transparent, I believe my role is a band aid. I do not believe that this role is like the thing that will fix everything because. Mm. It's I'm if I'm one person or I'm work with my team, you know, that's another point is that I it's something that, again, is different between some of the organizations in the States. But there's been a thing about like having one intimacy coordinator on a show. Mm -hmm. No other department in film works on with one person. Teamwork makes the dream work. Having multiple people to see different angles on things. Um, But also like having more people on set means we can look out for our crew. I've had. ADs come to me shaking in tears for varying reasons of things happening on set. You know, so there's all this like, how can we bring the humanity just all across the board into these industries and acknowledge that everyone needs more in order to support the sustainability of their job and their life and then how we treat each other so that we can mitigate the amount of abuses, assault, bullying, harassment, just awful treatment. Burned out people are crappy people, man. Burnt out people that's are crappy it. people. And that's like the entire industry of like theater to a great degree, but also like in my experience in film industry, like to a much greater degree, it's everybody's just all burnt out and bitchy all the time. <laughs> it really yeah. is. Really pushes people to like unhealthy dynamics it can and be. habits. Can be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not saying yeah. forces, yeah. but definitely. And I recognize my privilege as this role because I don't work like on my busiest weeks or busiest times of the year. I might be working four days a week and different amounts of hours during the day. And I come in and people kind of spark up like, oh, there's fresh energy. There's someone who's not like totally burnt out (laughs) on set kind of shifting the energy. And so it seems small to have a couple people who have that sturdy support for everyone else that I I know right now when I go to set, no one else is in that state. Right. Yeah. To do any of this stuff. Yep. Yes. So we, we've been bringing that awareness. There's a lot of producers and directors that after they get what we're, what we're doing and why we're there, 
I just see like more of a shift and more of like aha moment awareness of like, oh, if we take the time, if we prep well, if we rehearse, we're not going to be spending four hours doing that sex scene. And people are going to be a lot of performers either are resistant and they a lot of times uh, because of their need for protecting themselves, they might actually say like, oh, my character wouldn't do that. Or I don't know, my character needs more. And it, really, they're using the voice of their character to put their boundaries in place of going, right. actually, mm-hmm. no, I'm not comfortable with that, but I don't want to be seen as someone difficult to work with. Right. So they've utilized like this really interesting loophole to sort of get people to pay attention to what their needs are. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that from your experience, being able to integrate an intimacy coordinator on set actually helps to create a much better product and perhaps uh, a more efficiently filmed one? I do. (laughs) I I think that's what you just said, yeah. Simply because it's interesting uh, also when I've been in situations where they're navigating something that either the performer has put a boundary in. There's like this side thing of like, oh, I don't know, nudity writer, whatever. And then the writers and the director are kind of standing around pontificating, like, how do we change this language? How do we change this angle? And because we're dealing with a moment of intimacy, they wouldn't have considered that we have skills around choreography or like a beat or a moment of breath or an eye contact that can tell a very enriched story that they're trying to like logic their way into a solution instead of the skills that we offer, which is around the awareness of the body, the awareness of the breath, the awareness of what are the things that create connection. Um, Tony mm-hmm. Asina, who was one of the kind of original creators of a lot of the pedagogy of like IDI and some of the movement stuff, um, was uh, one of the more prevalent um, activities and exercises that we would learn is this instant chemistry where two people stand across from each other and it's just eye contact and breath. Right. And you create this like, I don't, if you ever witness it or you try it yourself, you can just stand facing your partner. First, there's like the giggles, you gotta get the giggles out. Then there's the like exploration of your scene partner's face with your eyes. And then we might give a direction like, okay, breath is in the shoulders or the breath is now like lower in the stomach. And we just add small little directions. Oh, then there's a a little tweak in the one hand as though the person was going to go reach up and touch the other person's face, but they can't. Something about it is stopping them from doing and give them these small little things and then have the people or the audience watch and go like, what is the story that is happening here? And it's not that the two people have to act the feelings, right? Because right? that also builds trauma into our bodies, whether we know right. it or not. When we're acting and we're relying on our true emotion, I have to think about that sad thing to make myself cry versus the next time I cry, I'm going to like pay attention to what my body yeah. is doing. And I'm just going to yeah. replicate that in my body. I'm going to change the breath. I'm going to um, make a sound that comes from a particular area. And then I'm right. going to be able to recreate the image because the audience only cares about what they see. They don't know what you're feeling or thinking. It's a much better thing for the actor themselves to to pantomime it instead of incorporate it into their mm-hmm. psyche. In, emotional psyche. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it helps if we're missing chemistry and we can just actually tweak those moments of like a breath choreography or that movement choreography. Mm-hmm. We, can bi- we can make chemistry oh absolutely. Or we have people who are like fighting <laughs> or we have people who are you know not feeling the feeling at all how do we you know tweak that or how do we make sure if, if two people are having a fight in real right. life and then we have to have them you know not be so resistant to each other you know how do we build that trust between the two of them we might do an exercise like that wow it sounds like you go into a very 
well, intimate, obviously, um, <laughs> der, uh, elements of the actor's experience on set. Mm-hmm. Where you, yeah, you absolutely are trying to take the danger, emotional and physical, out of uh, these scenes that are, you know, extremely intimate in nature. Hence mm-hmm. the title. I get it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, <laughs> those were the dumb guy in the audience. <laughs> Sometimes we, we also support, like, um, moments of, like, grief or moments of... Uh, hysteria, or even if someone's um, uh, having to depict something like a seizure, like okay. putting themselves into a heightened uh, physical state and then having the support to help navigate how do we get out of that moment, again, to support their mental health. Great. That was actually my next question. If it was more than just physical, like erotic intimacy, for example, which is the first thing that most mm-hmm. people would probably think about when it comes to like love scenes in a movie. Uh, where are the other elements in uh, storytelling where your talent fits in? Yeah. So, so moments of grief, moments of familial intimacy, people don't mm-hmm. like never think of that, that we have so many, I'm thinking too of like movies I enjoy watching that are about a family uh-huh. or about a family dynamic. I'm just thinking because the holidays, I'm like the family man and like the family stone and like different movies of my fit that my family <laughs> watch around the holidays and the really intense, like kind of fucked up, like people get into how families are yeah. and that's a very intense place to be and to depict and then also you have kids involved. So also where's the consent? Yes, there's the consent of the guardian that is bringing that child in to act that day. Right. Um, but we don't often check in with that kid and go like, are you okay receiving a hug from this actor who's playing your uncle or your father or your mother? Um, how do we make sure that that child's consent is also being considered on any given day? Because like one day you're in great spirits for whatever reason. And then another day you might not want to do that. A choreographer can come in and, and offer an alternate. What if it's, what if the kid comes up and hugs the person from behind? So actually the kid's the one hugging and they're not doing a face, like a chest to chest hug and it's from behind or it's right. around the waist from behind. Maybe that would make the kid feel more comfortable than doing something straight on, mm. right? There's a lot of difference in how intimate that kind of touches for a child that doesn't, isn't related to you. And, I, and it's something that I've become aware of over the last handful of years is how our society has historically has not really taught children to establish their own physical and personal boundaries. No yeah. And uh, when my goddaughter was born, for example, it was understanding if she doesn't want to give you a hug, don't force her to give you a hug. Like that's mm-hmm. teaching her that her body is not her own, that it is yeah. the property of Come give old Uncle Joe a hug. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. no no no. Yeah, and absolutely. And 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 when Heather's when Heather's goddaughter was born and and yeah, they established that pattern and it made me think. I was just like, oh my gosh, there's this whole assumption that like babies' hugs are just like everybody's property. It was like mm. it, from that moment on, it became a thing where I was like, may I give you a hug? Oh, no hug today? Okay, you want to yeah. high five? Fist yeah, bump? High fist like, bump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All of that. Alternatives. Wave. Waves, cool. We can wave. Yeah. <laughs> a big thing that we have to unlearn as a society in intimacy with kids is like the the no being a negative. When did we, why did we come up with the idea that no is a negative? Instead of mm. someone asks you a question, you say no. And then the person goes, thank you so much for telling me that. Yeah. Thank you for your boundary around whatever it is that I asked you. Um, and, and, you know, so instead of uh, a big thing, we have to help our actors kind of switch their mindset around. Because when the actors first start, they're like, yes, my whole body and everything belongs to characters. <laughs> I will play from now on. And... 
we have to come in and kind of untrain them a little bit for that is like instead of the yes and no however Ugh. okay mm-hmm. so like, Ooh, I like that. give us i mean that'll something. never fly in improv comedy but yeah i, I totally hear you <laughs> I've seen it work. I've seen it work in a scene where, like, you have to be adept at like shifting the word, the language, the like sentences of whatever's happening in the actual scene. But you can, rather than it can misdirect. I think an improv is probably more. I'm not an improver, so I don't exactly know. That's more of a misdirect. Yeah, misdirection to something else that you're okay with doing. Give me an alternative that would work for you, so that we're not Mm. stopping the action and we're not stopping the growth and evolution of the scene. Right. And so when a performer comes in with their boundaries, if they have a lot of boundaries I get really excited because it gives me so much to navigate around and gives me the awakening to what are the possible ways of telling this story go circumventing the things that are going to make this person uncomfortable absolutely mm-hmm. it's in the limitations yeah. where you find the creativity that's kind of a artist's totally. way sort of adage I can't remember where I heard it but I totally agree 100 percent. yeah and it really invites yeah. collaboration yeah you know mm-hmm. so giving actors the autonomy to say no however a i think i'm going to keep that i love that so much uh and i think we could all utilize it in our own lives with, with boundaries and yeah. no i'm not comfortable with this however i would be open to xyz and then we get to do something better together it makes a no uh less scary Because I think uh, depending on the power dynamic of the two people involved in a question or answer that uh, would result in a yes or a no, Mm -hmm. there's a power play there. And you have to think about the person who's going to answer the question and how a yes, they might be pressured into saying the yes. Or if they say no, they're thinking about the risk of saying no and how the response is going to be. And if we can uh, also give the language to directors and producers and people who inherently hold those power dynamics... Please give your performers or crew open-ended questions or encourage them and say right off the bat, like, I would like to hear your no. I want to support you in hearing a no. But that also means you have to do the inner work so that when someone gives you a no, you don't immediately respond negatively. You say, oh, thank you for saying that or thank you for, you know, I'm acknowledging that that's a boundary for you. Let's work around that. So it's a kind of everywhere. Like that's why I continue to do, you know, workshops around consent and boundaries in general. There's also some co- amazing content creators. Um, someone on Instagram was a, also a colleague at intimacy coordinator, um, Mia Schachter. They have, um, a podcast called share the load on Instagram. It's at share the load pod and uh, consent wizard at consent wizard. Hey. And like folks like this are it's getting the into the nitty gritty. <laughs> the consent wizard. They're great. Um, so like the, it's interesting to see different people offer practice so that everyone can start to just have better skills around how to, you know, do boundary negotiations, which again, like comes not, it's not from intimacy work. It's from like the BDSM and kink communities. Uh, have you had any sort of influence from that world itself? Definitely. And I can speak to my personal experience because I do practice in, I mean, not so much in COVID, but mm-hmm. you know, like I was and I <laughs> have done stop practice. a lot of people. <laughs> it's true. Honestly, it's just because I work so much and I'm always in bed at like 1030. It's not for other reasons. That's funny. But I, I practice bondage. I practice shibari. That has been Beautiful. an incredible tool for me in those really, I'm a nerd about that stuff. So I'm like, I really want to learn really well. I want to be competent in this thing. And I want to do that boundaries negotiation thing properly, like by the book, because I'm just a yeah. little bit that direction. But just, yeah. It strikes me that uh, this particular element, the the searching for the boundaries, the finding where the limitations mm-hmm. are and the interpersonality 
of the um, of the onset uh, experience for creating a film, as well as for like the kink community and uh, the BDSM, etc. The boundary seeking and the boundary celebrating and the creative play within the boundaries mm-hmm. uh, seems to me like a like a fun element to try to bring into the normal relationship structure. I mean, it's it's another layer of you know respect seeking. You know, it's another layer of of creating that healthy intimacy in the real world, in real life relationships, not only in bedroom fantasies or in film fantasies. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What other elements do you think might be appropriate to try to experiment with in like once every day intimate relationships? I think like it's really interesting and I've had some other conversations with other like intimacy, like relationship intimacy coaches around ways that we can saturate our relationships with communication without being really pedantic and very like, I don't have the fancy flowery words for that, but I have like set up a little like emoji legend so that when I'm looking, it was a friend of mine that posted this actually sexual, so throw out to her. Um, she had like a little legend of like emojis that meant specific things. So like the little devil horns on the fire was like, be ready for some hot stuff tonight and you just text that to your partner and you can kind of like short form things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um or like when sometimes my partner and i when we're wanting to it was like hey you want to get a little serotonin like we're in public somewhere (laughs) and we might say we're gonna get some serotonin and like that's what that means so like finding (laughs) little fun kind of keywords with each other um Mm -hmm. that kind of short form where you've already had that like really deep dive conversation at some point Mm -hmm. you've really gotten into the weeds of how are we going to talk about this how are we gonna find the ways that um you know we need something from each other um another tool i use um which you probably have heard of but the wheel of consent by betty martin absolutely um, yes and she's done the like three minute game where like that's a really cute short exercise that couples can do and a lot of people that i've seen just try it out they're like wow like i never thought to ask my partner if i'm being touched is it for me or is it for you Who's the touch for, basically? Oh, that wow. Whole piece. Yeah, no kidding. That is, wow, that's revelatory. <laughs> that is Ooh, revelatory. That is fantastic. And, and, and connecting, like, for example, for me, like, I think a little bit more about, like, love languages, like, acts of service is a big one mm-hmm. for me. Oh, my God, you do my dishes. I'm your servant forever. Mm-hmm. But I have partners who are, like, physical touch are bigger. And so where the conversation of, like, who the touch is for or, hey, I'm feeling touch saturated right now and this is not about you. I don't want you to feel rejected because I'm feeling overly touch. Anti-touchy. Like, touch saturated. Yeah, just, like, please, I'm I'm feeling so, like, str- like anti-touchy yeah wrapped up (laughs) anti-touchy it's like anti-fragile anti-touchy yeah (laughs) yeah yeah my my touch what was my friend also said my touch bank is full or i don't know there was some other analogy that was really great too i like it you know so just like those little those little bits i also really enjoy multi-amory their podcast and some of the nerdery that they get into around like halt and um how to how to like you know, yeah, short forms for things so that we don't have to get into it every time because that's really exhausting. It mm-hmm. sure is. Yes. Long-term yeah. relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but also checking, like, the longer you're in a relationship, it feels like the less you can rely on what you think you know about your partner. Totally. <laughs> because... <laughs> 
like you're in everything together in different ways. Um, and so how do you hold space for those boundaries adjusting and not rely on just, I think I know this about you because we've been together for so long and, and not take it so personally that that thing has changed right. now and that person needs something different from you. And that's that constant exploration because, you know, each relationship is its own continent and the shores keep changing shape. And, you know, yeah, as yeah. you explore, you know, this beach is gone. Oh, there's nothing but rocks there now, you know, and, and that's... <laughs> Yeah, sorry, we live in the tropics the next to the ocean, so the metaphor <laughs> is going to nice. be very. Uh, uh, but but yeah, it's a- absolutely because everything is constantly changing. We are changing creatures, mm-hmm. and and so the conversation mm-hmm. never ends. It's yeah. good to have these kind of models together. Yeah. It really is. But also being an intimacy coordinator very much does your put your own relationships like under a microscope. <laughs> Well, it does. And we're doing the same thing here. The most heartbreaking (laughs) comment I've ever received from my partner was like, you're an intimacy coordinator in person. How come you here? Like, and your job, how come you can't do this in your life? And I was like, hey, (gasps) hey, I, okay, I want to do better, but also, ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Super ouchy. Oh, shit. I recently voiced my concern as a very, very romantic person that having created a podcast where we basically break down all the rules and all the interpersonality and all the psychology and all the sociology and everything. Ruins romance. Strategies. For me, oh, for me, I told Heather, I was like, there's an element of this that's a lot like dissecting a pig instead of enjoying some mm-hmm. bacon. That's it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But of course, like the nerdy uh, science geek in me is like, but dissecting pigs, I mean, come yeah, on. Really this fun. is And I'm just like, I just want bacon. <laughs> just give me bacon. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> But I wanted to ask you, so in your experience now as an intimacy coordinator on set, have you seen instances where the actors or the other professionals on set that you've worked with have had the training or the boundary setting support that you've guided them with? Has that affected their personal lives? And have you, like, what sorts of feedback have you received on a personal level? Good question. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely, it, it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag. There's a lot of young performers that I get to work with, which I'm, I get so excited to work with young performers because they mm-hmm. are so keen to put more things in their toolbox. Um, they're so keen, especially in this generation, to be mindful of boundaries of things like pronouns like they're just really into that stuff which is so great Mm -hmm. um and so I've had especially again a a lot of young male performers just be really keen and nerdy about the choreography they're the ones asking for the choreography Mm -hmm. they're the ones asking to go over this bit of choreography again you know like so that's really lovely to see I even get to see some folks from the old guard (laughs) something happens in a moment or we offer something and I can see like the pin drop and they're like oh so it's very interesting to see some of the differences and then in terms of personal I just think that some people reflect like wow I just felt so much safer I felt like I could really voice you know whatever I was having like bumping up against they say a lot um and was able to say that to you kind of privately and you gave me an out to something different that everyone was happy with and um, and then like very, you know, the one person sort of said like, mm, I think this really helped our relationship. Thank you. And I was like, mm-hmm, you know, whatever, right on. <laughs> you know, awesome. but I'm glad it gave you, gave you some language or it gave you an awareness of your partner in an acting context that you wouldn't have considered in your personal life just simply because you are different than 
these characters that you were being a body double for. Like it was right. just very interesting kind of meta thing. And I'm and I'm sure there's like some bit of language or some awareness of like Yes, my advocacy always for having like lube on the side table <laughs> that some people just like don't know or don't register or they haven't had that in their personal life. And then they're like, oh, uh, that's new information to me. And thank you for that information. Because like sidebar, I like to teach people about sex ed. So if it comes up in conversation around a scene, do with that information what you will. Right. So wait, you uh, so in the scenes that you uh, help choreograph, you always advocate to have the the lube on the, the like the bedside table if they're having like sex if it, if it's yeah if it's like possible oh, that's I wonderful love helping to choreograph the scenes of gay intimacy and queer intimacy because okay. uh, again we I don't think we see enough of it and I also think that especially with a story of two gay men together I don't know who's choreographing or or who's writing these scenes to begin with but it feels like in a male gaze to create a scene of two gay men together, there's a bit more leaning towards the sort of aggressive nature of two men together and thinking that that's what we only want to see as a general demographic instead of some of the nuance of sweetness. Oh, because men are aggressive. That's what they do. They're hard and aggressive. Mm -hmm. And like, and like writers kind of relying on the couple moments they've seen in other shows like Brokeback Mountain, like those cowboys would have had some bear grease or something. (laughs) They would not have just... Yes. It. Oh, girl, like that they made me something. cringe. I'm like, there's no fucking way that it just, like, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, well, it doesn't work with the, the anal <laughs> because it doesn't create its own lubrication. So, yeah. Well, like I said, so. put a little spit on it, but it'll taste like chewing tobacco. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, you were saying Honestly, what? spit is not <laughs> enough. Thank you. Spitting it's enough. not enough. <laughs> spitting enough. No, thank you. <laughs> Like, I just don't want to be pulled out of the story because I'm critiquing the hell out of that moment. The technique, right, so, right. whatever we can add for the people who've actually experienced that thing to not be like, I hate it and I want to throw it away. You know, like, I'd love for them to be like, oh, my God, I recognize my experience in that moment. Absolutely. Mm, and, you know, yes. get don't get knocked out of your... What is it? Your willing suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. Uh, so I would love to, if you would like to share with us, what are the things that you are most excited about mm-hmm. currently that you would care to share with our listeners? Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited to see so many incredible intimacy prof- uh, professionals doing the work to see how many are successful at getting involved in elements of the storytelling so that we're seeing like more of an evolution that productions are trusting us with the knowledge that we bring and allowing us to give some input into those moments of intimate storytelling that they wouldn't have considered prior. We're just seeing so much better content in that regard. Um, So examples like sex education, uh, like bonding, different things that you just see the evolution and the growth. Um, And I'm sure it's similar to as to when stunts became a practice that was not just people like, 
you know, wonderful, like Buster Keaton, like doing his own stunts and practically dying every time. Yeah. Then that became its own very special skill set and all kinds of things that now can happen Mm -hmm. with stunts and whole movies being based around the ability of the stunt crew. I feel like that's going to go in that direction. There's been some colleagues of mine who've been talking specifically about like the golden age of the male nude, Chelsea Pace, uh, the golden age that will happen around intimacy. Um, Acacia is another person who's written some stuff on that of like, we're going to see this start to happen. We're going to see people relying on people who have this experience and this, you know, knowledge of like the BDSM King community to like really get in to showcasing this like pseudo underworld, even though it's not like a ton of people are involved in like kink, BDSM, mm-hmm. polyamory, mm-hmm. queer existence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we want to see like actually how that is and how people live those lives in a way that feels authentic and is still super fun, super juicy, is creative and has its own special brand of drama. Right. Like I think it's so interesting when like I, for example, I always get so pissed when I'm seeing like a like a heterosexual situation and then there's like a third person and it's all, oh, well, they won't they? And it's all dry. I'm like, why can't they just be poly? Like, just do there's it. still drama. <laughs> there is still, I mean, I trust, trust me, there is still drama in creating storylines with polyamorous people <laughs> oh, that is absolutely. authentic to polyamory. There is so much drama that you could get into, but you're mm-hmm. not letting it try to go there or you're trying to put them in that scenario and then you're not doing due diligence to what could exist in it's a polyamorous. trying to square hole a round peg because they're trying to kowtow to the social norms while yeah. trying to tell a story that doesn't fit the social norms, which is why I think it. when it comes to vi- uh, visual acting media, the series Sense8, yes. which I'm sure you've seen and oh, I'm sure involved <laughs> probably more intimacy coaches, I'm guessing, than actors just from how amazing it was with it. Really? I don't really? think that it was just before. Well, it was then, kind of just amazing before. for Wachowski's yeah. uh, maybe, for, will, uh, for making it happen like that because I, will I felt double check. Okay, I'd be, I'm pretty curious. But about I would that. be quite curious about yeah, it because yeah. it, it seems to me like one of the most courageously intimate vid- visual productions ever made. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and just. They took so many of the angles of relationships, sexuality, intimacy in like every single facet of the prism of that that is oh and just gosh. fit it together in what, in my opinion, was just this perfect sculpture of the human soul. Yes. And it was simply, yes. you know, simply fantastic. Just the, like melding of these people right? being each kind of like existing and being each other and then and then like specific sort of, um, you know, sexual orientation right. attraction just like and didn't how, exist how all because they all melted felt together. Each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They melted together into one. And that was so yeah. beautiful to me. And that's why so I consider it so incredibly brave. And I just assumed that there would be like an army of intimacy coaches with that show because it was just so well done. But I think there's not, it's not to say that there hasn't been people doing this kind of work. So uh, whether or not it was like an intimacy coordinator, they probably had coaches of some kind mm-hmm. that were brought in for sure. I definitely think that that's true. There are people who've been doing some form of this for a really long time. It's just now finally sort of getting, yeah, it's getting that, that platform and right. kind of more that like logistical, um, uh, support. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really fun to think about different shows or films in the past and, and how they might have done something and how really some of them were advanced for their time. And then mm-hmm. also how, unfortunately, we also saw things happenings like the last tango in Paris or we saw even just besides that, like instances even more recently where 
because the director was working towards the titillation of the chemistry of the two performers, didn't do due diligence in terms of making sure that they weren't trying to, like, for example, in an audition, having performers kissing in Mm -hmm. like a hotel room or, you know, like these like really blurred lines in terms of safety for the performers. I won't say names, but I have some in my mind of where that stuff comes from. Man, that just, just thinking of mm -hmm. that, like gives me the heebie-jeebies, you know, the, the sorts of things asked of people. And there's like, unfortunately, a lot of folks that when they're coming into this, they just don't know where that line is for themselves. And we're helping to draw that line and go like, you know, one of one of the best things I think we are doing, too, is teaching performers they have the right to their autonomy. Oh, awesome. Actually, as an evolution of the Me Too cultural movement to liberate people from those kind of power dynamic imbalances uh, and this particular offshoot, this particular uh, expression of it going into the film mm-hmm. world, which is kind of sort of where that movement began to begin with. It's great to see it sort of crystallize into this formal role where those kind of things can just be ameliorated, can be like downsized, if not yeah, completely yeah. done away with. You're talking about showmances as well. I mean, I mean, what is People Magazine going to do? <laughs> without like four fifths of their material the other fifth I being know, advertising I know the drama, <laughs> I know. The drama. <laughs> well and I think that's I guess that's the thing and I think a lot of performers will probably hope that this is the case is that like we can keep the drama and the intrigue and the entertainment to what they actually are paid to do right in terms of entertainment that like on their off time when they're not that character like they're just off and they're not doing that and so, keep their lives you know, healthy and balanced and yeah work is yeah, work yeah, yeah, life yeah, is life yeah. but it coming into this this was really prevalent because if people can see something that is so mainstream and public in terms of it's like because it's entertainment like you know i think the music industry has had different waves of its reckoning of, you know, the people that hold the power and why they hold that power. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really, can we do away with the people who perceive that they have the power? And some of my experiences with those people are not that they're creating the best work either. So like, again, it's, it's a whole shifting of the paradigm and the systemic issues around that are like so interesting. Awesome. Uh Yeah. Mm -hmm. So great. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. I personally am am very excited and uh, inspired by the fact that you're part of this new field and, and helping to make our film industry and the people who work within it more protected and better able to express themselves and, and create good art. It's very encouraging to see. It's encouraging to see what the influence is going to be over the next coming decades or whatever mm-hmm. to uh, to see how you humanize the field of filmmaking in such a way that it trickles down lessons wise into people's real lives. Yeah. You know, because it's absolutely that it's it's the That's silver how- screen down to People magazine. Like these are all big cultural engines. Yeah. And and for you to get in there with a little bit of. You know, relationship consciousness, sensuality consciousness, consent consciousness, all of these things that uh, maybe you aren't introducing for the first time ever. Because like you said, you know, before Stuntman, there was Buster Keaton, you know, hanging off a clock, you know, yeah. but um, <laughs> but you're codifying, you know, you're turning them, you're crystallizing it mm. into part of the craft, yeah, you know, in a very technical and a very intimate way. And that's a great thing. Thank you. It has kind of been my MO 
coming from sex education and, and also because of the, like my parents were some, were our people who are just so incredibly open and, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier in terms of masculinity. Like I was raised with someone masculine who like shows emotion and is transparent and vulnerable about his feelings and all these kinds of things. So I was raised in such a way that I want to see, you know, I want to see that Mm -hmm. more. I want to see people embrace all of those things and we would be in such a better world if like people were having more orgasms maybe smoking a little more weed like everyone just chill the fuck out and like enjoy yourself because pleasure is your right and your sovereignty and if we can see more of that being represented then we empower people in their own lives and and to have true autonomy and empowerment in your own like most vulnerable moment of sexuality whatever that is for you that ripples out like infinitely in your own personal life with regards to your relationships and your community and your career and Mm -hmm. all these things, people who are hurt, people who are burnt out, people who are not true in themselves or not confident in themselves. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones we got to watch out for. Like those are the ones who are like, they're worried about things they are worried about how they're being seen or perceived. And then they don't do things that's, that's in alignment with our truth. Right. And I think pleasure in our alignment with our truth is, is how we get out of this messy, mucky world that we're in right now. Absolutely. Because it's mm-hmm. a Absolutely. bit of a shit show. It's a situation, as my friend would say. The situation. Yeah. The situation. Yeah. Yeah, no. Situation. And it's absolutely true. And, you know, just quite recently, we talked vulnerability in a previous episode. It's the one that actually dropped this Tuesday. Uh, just Amazing. just passed and um and, and yeah it's all about the authenticity you know the vulnerability is the willingness one of the one of the ways that we define it is the way to is is the willingness to be authentic which is the ability the capacity to forgo foreign assumptions over your personhood mm-hmm. you know like these things that you are expected by society by parents by family by everybody else for you to be in favor of the person you really are. And yes, absolutely. There's a lot of social damage that could be averted if everybody could chill the fuck out, be themselves, <laughs> and yeah. find those yeah. parameters of no, however. Yeah. Oh, I love that so mm-hmm. much. No, however. Yeah. It's Yes. <laughs> That's going to be everywhere now. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much. This was a joy and a pleasure to do on my Saturday. Megan, so. it's a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you. For our listeners... Where can they find you? Yeah, blurb yourself up. Yeah, girl, person. Give us all your WWWs and your hashtags and your at signs. Blurb myself. <laughs> uh, on Instagram, it's at Megan Gilron. I don't post a lot. I'm sorry. Um, okay, neither do we. And uh, <laughs> my website is www.megangilron.com um, if you're interested in sort of seeing the different offerings I have. Um, and then uh, the company that I work with, if you're interested in hiring me, is uh, principalintimacy.com. Um, and then we don't have our website yet for National Society of Intimacy Professionals, but on Instagram, we are at intimacy.society. Um, check us out for workshops and different things. We've got a few coming up around like kiss masking choreography and dance choreography and intimacy and how they're connected. Um, so some wonderful, wonderful professionals out there teaching some things through our organization and you can check them out if you're interested in dropping in for a class. Well, that sounds wonderful. And Fabulous. we will have all the links in the description so everyone can pull them up. Click on the things. Um, and yeah, when we find ourselves in Vancouver next time, we might just drop you a little hey howdy. Yeah. See what you you're bet. doing. 
You're probably on a 16-hour shoot, but you know. (laughs) Thank you so much, Heather and Marco. Thank you very much, Megan. Thanks, Megan. Well, my goodness, it was so much fascinating Mm -hmm. info. Yes. Now, okay, so there are a lot of things that struck me. Uh Uh-huh. But the communication and boundary setting being the foundations for creating intimate scenes in a healthy manner. Right. It it just completely reinforced how great they are for intimacy in our own intimate relationships. Yeah, this is true. And I was really taken aback by that comment she made about when someone touches me, who is that touch for? Oh my gosh, completely. Is it me or is it for them? Right. Yeah, that really brought home for me some of the hidden dynamics of intimacy mm-hmm. and how much a sense of power negotiation is really embedded in intimacy. Mm, totally. That was... that line she actually took from The Wheel of Consent by Betty Martin. Mm -hmm. You can find it at bettymartin.org slash videos. Link in the description. Definitely recommend checking it out. And that whole concept of attacking no as being a negative. But in fact, if a person is able to say no, that that means they can then establish their personal boundaries from the get-go and work to find a solution that respects everyone's personal agency. Yeah, that got me too. I mean, not taking no as a negative, but rather as a positive assertion that helps define the space for proper interaction between two people. Mm -hmm. You know, consent and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, however. No, however. No, however. I love it. Nice. Right? So, and it's all, it all depends on cooperation and equal commitment to making it work. But you just get to do it with your healthy boundaries at the same time. Yeah. And also what she mentioned about actors learning to use short form communication to navigate these issues quickly, it kind of reminded me of stuff we mentioned in our episode about play from last week, Mm -hmm. where we explored secret languages as a form of playfulness between lovers. Ah, totally. And Love Bunnies, if you haven't listened to it, you might want to. It's the very previous episode. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend checking it out it was a lot of fun because it's all about play uh, speaking of play I, I love her personal crusade to include lube on the bedside tables in as many sex scenes as possible <laughs> right because let's be real lube is way more important in the real world than the movies have typically led us to believe <laughs> lube it's good <laughs> Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, you can reach us on that ancient relic of social media marketing, Facebook at facebook.com slash how to love forever. <laughs> it still works, right? <laughs> I think it still works. I don't know. It's Maybe it's time to set it on fire. And Instagram at how to numeral two love forever. We really want to hear your feedback and what you would like to hear us cover. Mm. Also, reach out if you have a story to share and if you would like to be a guest on the podcast or if you know somebody who you think would be a good guest on the podcast yeah heck we even have a private mode if you want to share your stories but you wish to remain anonymous totally we can do it dear abby style and read your story or questions in the podcast without revealing your true identity just email us directly at contact at how to love forever.com don't be shy we don't bite without without consent. consent And if you feel that our show provides some value, is good for the world, or just plain entertaining, there are so many ways to show your support. Uh, you can leave a review and a positive comment on your podcast app of choice. It definitely will help our show grow. And tell all your friends to listen in. Because you know what? We want to touch the world. With consent. With consent. 
Also, if you want to be our sugar daddy or sugar mama, you can join our supporter community on Patreon. We have a range of supporter levels to choose from, starting at just $3 a month. $3 a month? That's right. That's less than the price of the average extramarital affair. So, what do you get? Early access, extra content like the uncut version of this episode. Uncut. Uncut, unshaved, and unwashed. <laughs> it's Behind... <laughs> Behind the scenes looks at our processes, full video versions of some interviews, and more. Check us out at patreon.com slash how to love forever. <laughs> and speaking of lube, has your long-term relationship run a bit dry? Ow. Well, join us next week when we share with you 10 super fun ways to reinvigorate your love life. Try our new mint jalapeno sex lube. (laughs) No. I'm just kidding. It has no mint. (laughs) It has no none of it. (laughs) (laughs) So until then, remember, love deep. Love hard. Love love forever. forever. Jalapeno. Spicy. Hey, you want it to spice up your love life. I think there's a market for that. I don't know. It might already be in some loops. It really might be. We should check it out. (laughs) And if worse comes to worse, we can always use it as a self-defense pepper spray. Mm. Yeah.